Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, recorded just, just inty little bits of hours before you hear it, this broadcast, which begins by asking the question, whose Humvees are they anyway? This would be news of AFPAC, which I think we're going to now, since that the AFPAC usage has um, been retired from government, from the government lingo file. From now on, it's just going to be news of America's longest war, which is what it is over there. They still have over there? Yes, they do. American warplanes have destroyed about 40 U.S.-supplied Humvees. Would, why would we be destroying Humvees? We don't think... Yes, they were U.S.-supplied, but the Taliban captured them from Afghanistan's military over the past several years. This is according to coalition military statistics provided to USA Today. The statistics hired, highlight a recurring problem. Taliban fighters have frequently attacked Afghan government outposts throughout the country, capturing U.S.-supplied equipment and then disappearing into the countryside. They've also run off with weapons and other equipment. In the event this type of military equipment is stolen, U.S. forces Afghanistan and the Afghan National Defense and security forces work quickly to recapture the equipment or eliminate it from the battlefield altogether so as not to allow the enemy an advantage. That's according to Lieutenant Colonel Martin O'Donnell. He's a military spokesman, so of course that was him spokesman. If the equipment can't be recaptured with a ground attack, it is destroyed from the air. The 40 Humvees were destroyed in U.S. airstrikes since January 2015, just a bit after the U.S. combat forces left Afghanistan, and Afghan government troops took the lead in fighting the Taliban. The captured American equipment not only gives militants increased firepower or protection, but it's also used by the Taliban to disguise themselves as American or allied forces in an effort to slip past guards. Accounting for the equipment that the U.S. has provided to Afghanistan's military, well, we're good at accounting. We kind of... No, we're not. It remains a challenge, according to USA Today. It's possible that some of the equipment may have been diverted to the Taliban by corruption in Afghanistan's military. Not again. Since 2005, the U.S. purchased 95,000 vehicles for Afghan security forces... The coalition command responsible for equipping the country's army and police couldn't account for all of them, according to the inspector general at the Department of Defense. doesn't say how many they could account for, but how would you know how many you, you could account for if you don't know how many? Unarmored Humvees cost the government about 70000 each. Then you got to armor them. One vehicle that was reported destroyed in battle was later brought in for maintenance. So... Don't kiss those Humvees goodbye just yet. Hello, welcome to the show. Some love you had a plan. Some loving happened so fast, you said. I met a girl who's crazy for me. So 
From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this, this very edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. It is such a smart world. Amazon this week has stopped selling cloud pets, a network-connected family of toys. you got to connect your family networkly. In response to security and privacy concerns sounded by Mozilla, they make Firefox, and they're now more than ever an advocate for Internet security. This according to the Register, British tech website tech news website this move follows similar actions taken by walmart and target last week other sellers of the toy are said to be considering similar action a mozilla spokesperson confirmed that they had shared cloud pets vulnerabilities with amazon and with the electronic frontier foundation spiral toys the maker of cloud pets did not immediately respond to inquiries security and the privacy on the internet are fundamental said a Mozilla spokeswoman, but increasingly violated. She, uh, last November, advised those buying holiday gifts to avoid privacy-violating toys. If consumers demand privacy and security be taken more seriously and follow through with their pocketbooks, we can change the way companies treat us and our data, she said. We can create a safer, more secure world for ourselves and our kids, unquote. 
If not, <laughs> Cloud Pets and Spiral Toys have had issues in the past. Last year, security researcher Paul Stone demonstrated how a Cloud Pet could be hacked to capture audio. Alexa, I said capture audio. That same year, the toy maker was found to be running an unsecured database from which hackers obtained at least 500,000 customer records. Well, they're not going to do anything bad with... Mozilla provided the register with a copy of a security audit conducted with its support by a cybersecurity research firm, noting that while a toy maker had fixed its database, Cloud Pets toys can still be turned into spying devices through the Bluetooth attack disclosed last year. It also found a domain associated with the toy has expired and can be purchased, making it a potential phishing platform. And the toy has no firmware protection, which could allow an attacker with device access to create custom firmware. And Cloud Pets voice recordings are stored in a publicly accessible Amazon file. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, the report concludes Spiral Toys clearly does not care about their users' security and privacy being violated, makes no effort to respond to well-meaning attack reports, further facilitating and inviting malicious attacks against their users. Similar flaws have been identified in other connected toys, like the Kayla doll and Mattel's Hello Barbie. Barbie, say hello to Alexa. Alexa, to date, toy makers appear to have done little to repair their reputations, reports the Register. Just last month, researchers from Princeton reported finding a handful of undisclosed vulnerabilities in connected toys that violate both the chin Children's Online Privacy Protection Rule, COPPA, and the toy's stated privacy policies. Alexa, flush Hello Barbie, will you? Speaking of which, Amazon's Echo Look is a new thing, a selfie camera that meets fashion assistant with the help of some artificial intelligence. That's the best kind, don't you think? It's now available to anyone in the United States to purchase. Like all Echo-branded products, the look, the look, Tom, the look, the look is powered by Alexa. It uh, judges the outfits you wear every day and suggests new ones to buy. <laughs> Why would Amazon be... Amazon is introducing cameras to many of its consumer electronics products. Yet it's worth questioning the trade-offs, says Quartz website. The trade-offs of a tech giant theoretically having access to the goings-on in your home at any given moment. Amazon now owns and sells the following products that contain cameras. Echo Show, Echo Look, Echo Spot, Amazon Cloud Cam, Ring Doorbells, Blink Security Cameras, Amazon Fire Tablets, and Amazon, your pants are on fire. These cameras are used to video chat, protect homes, take photos, and let Amazon delivery people into your home. What a good idea that is. That is so smart. It's a smart world, ladies and gentlemen. We're just living in it. And speaking of said world, brings us to news of the warm, won't you? I know I will. New University of Colorado Boulder-led research. It's, it's not research led by a boulder. It's led by research at the University of Colorado Boulder campus. Shows that three major switches affecting wildfires, fuel, aridity, and ignition, were either flipped on or kept on longer than expected last year. That triggered one of the largest and costliest U.S. wildfire seasons in recent decades. But wait till this year. The 2017 wildfire season cost the U.S. more than $18 billion in damages. 
as 71,000 wildfires scorched 10 million acres of land, destroying 12,000 homes and claiming 66 lives. Last year, we saw a pylon of extreme events, not a pylon, a pile-on of extreme events across large portions of the western U.S., the wettest winter, the hottest summer, and the driest fall, all helping to promote wildfires, said the lead author of the study, Jennifer Bulch. Western wildfire seasons are worse when conditions are dry and fuel-rich, raising the chances of ignition. Climate change likely exacerbates fuels and dryness, the paper found, and human behavior contributed the sparks. So we're... We're implicated in all three, really. Sluggish hurricanes have become increasingly common over the last 70 years, according to a new study. Storms that linger over a given area for longer periods, like Hurricane Harvey, which stalled over eastern Texas for almost a week last year, bring more rain because they sit there longer and have greater potential to cause damage than ones that pass quickly. Scientists aren't sure why this is happening, according to Nature. And... The magazine, not the mother. But if the trend continues, future hurricanes could be even more disastrous. A study published uh, just this week in Nature is the first to analyze hurricane speeds globally. It finds that the speed at which tropical cyclones move across the planet slowed by about 10% over the last 70 years. That's a big signal, says the study's author, James Cawson, a climate scientist at NOAA. After studies suggested that atmospheric circulation patterns in the tropics might be slowing as a result of global warming. He set out to see whether hurricanes, which are carried along by wind currents, also put on the brakes. Cousin says, quote, I'm not sure that I was quite prepared for the amount of slowing that I did find, unquote. A simplified ecological landscape with significant biodiversity loss might be in our future if a global temperature increase cannot be restricted to 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit above historical pre-industrial levels. That's the warning from Professor Guy Midgley, a world-leading expert on climate change and its impact on biodiversity in an article published in Science. Warming by more than 2 degrees will take the world into a temperature state that it hasn't seen for several millions of years, He says from his office at the Department of Botany and Zoology at Stellenbach University in South Africa. This is in reaction to a report from Climate Change Center at the University of East Anglia in the UK, also published in the same issue of Science, in which uh, the researchers show that if the global temperature increase can't be limited to 1.5, but is allowed to rise to a level 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit above the historical level, it roughly doubles the risks associated with warming for plants, animals, and insects. The rocks do well, though. Professor Midgley says higher levels of warming would lead to systematic ecological simplification, a process where many climate losers are replaced by far fewer climate winners. Such a simplified ecological landscape could have impacts on ecosystem services such as water quality, your soil conservation, your flood prevention, all of which are important for human well-being. Fewer insects also mean fewer pollinators and hence implications for many plant species and your food, just your food. In the weeks before Hurricane Harvey tore across the Gulf of Mexico in August 2017, the Gulf's waters were warmer than at any time on record, according to a new analysis by the National Center for Atmospheric Research, NCAR. These hotter-than-normal conditions supercharged the storm, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Supercharged the storm, fueling it with vast amounts of moisture. 
The authors found when it stalled near Houston, the resulting rains broke precipitation records. Increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will reduce the nutritional value of rice. Don't tell Uncle Ben. This is according to an international research team that analyzed rice samples from field experiments started by a University of Tokyo professor. Why not Rice University? They would specifically iron, zinc, protein, and vitamins B1, B2, B5, and B9 were reduced in rice grown under higher carbon dioxide concentrations like those to be expected in the second half of this century. Rice, as you know, is not just a major source of calories, but also proteins and vitamins for many people in developing countries and for poorer communities within developed countries, says the author, the co-author of the study. Now, I know we're not supposed to to like weasels, at least in show business, but fluffy white weasels that once frolicked in snowy fields unnoticed now have a target on their back, thanks to global warming. This is a report from fizz.org. The problem in this case is camouflage mismatch. Don't ask for this at your local uh, sporting goods store. The population of white-coated Mostella nivalis nivalis in Poland's Bialonuweza forest, thank you, they found has declined sharply as climate change reduced the number of snow-covered days by half over the last half century. Compared to the 1960s, snows in the forest's high-altitude regions disappear each year nearly a month earlier, well before the mammal's fur molts into earth-colored tones. This exposes the weasel to foxes, wolves, raptors, and other predators, the researchers reported in the journal Scientific Reports. Climate change will strongly influence the mortality of the snow weasel due to prolonged camouflage mismatch, said one of the researchers. Wearing a winter coat after the spring thaw may lead to local extinction. All extinction is local, really. Didn't Tip O'Neill say that? The common weasel is native to Canada and Eurasia and has been introduced in many other regions of the world, accidentally or for pest control. The animals live on a diet of small rodents, like mice and sometimes young rabbits. Only the subspecies in snowy regions has evolved the capacity to don a luxuriant white coat for the winter. But this evolutionary process took thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of years and can't be reversed in a few decades the researchers say. Well, that's an assumption. I say just give the weasels a good sound talking, good stern talking to. Lose that coat. Lose that coat. See what happens. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. In uh, news involving <laughs> President Trump this week, uh, the uh, Stormy Daniels show opened a new episode the former former porn actress and directress, by the way. Director. Okay, you got it. Um, sued her former attorney, the one that um, originally made the deal with Trump's... Is he still Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen? Uh, Keith Davidson. Um, she's suing her former attorney, I guess with the help of her current attorney. That's the way these things work. Uh, claiming that the former attorney was in cahoots with Trump's attorney. So, uh, if if not collusion, at least cahootson. Cahootson. President President Trump, um, as you well know now, attended the, uh, well, dropped in, I guess would be the better uh, term of art, to the uh, G7 meeting in uh, Quebec earlier this weekend. 
just uh, dropped in for a nasty howdy-do. Uh, there was no real official explanation for why he uh, arrived late and left early. Le- left early because he had to go to Singapore for the meeting with uh, North Korea's President Kim this coming week. No real reason given. A lot of assumptions made about why he arrived late. Uh, I blame the poutine. Look it up. And uh, on the on the subject, you know, he while he was there, he denounced again. Uh, the trade practices of the European nations, most particularly Canada. But he also had a little um, falling out with his former bromance partner, President Macron of France, uh, also on the subject of trade. The uh, president, <laughs> the president, also suggested, apparently more than once, that Russia be admit, readmitted to the G7, plumping it back up to the G8, which it was before the invasion of Crimea which uh, the G7 punished Russia for because it was illegal. I don't recall the G7 punishing the United States for the legal, illegal invasion of Iraq. I'm going to have to check. No, apparently not. And um, many of the things that <laughs> the president said regarding the trade situation have been um, debunked, I guess would be the proper word, by, by several debunkers. Uh, including the importance or lack thereof of um, trade balances between or among nations, especially since the ones that the president cites always focus on products and don't involve the trade balance in services in which the United States has and has had for some time a surplus. And with this, as with certain other subjects like the uh, notorious Trump Tower meeting, that his son had a couple of Julys ago, certain observers raised the question, well, if if he's not guilty of something, why is he lying about this? Yes, there's that theory. And then there's this one. He lies about the Nobel Peace Prize He lies about his favorite bands He lies about his inauguration crowd size He lies about the size of his hands He He lies about players taking a knee He lies about the margin of his vote He lies about how much he watches TV He lies about the book that he wrote You know he lies about his female accusers He lies about coal being clean He lies about beggars being choosers He lies about his ratings on the screen He lies about what he may recall 
He lies about what he forgets. He lies about who's paying for the wall. He lies about what he paid for his jets. He lies about Obama's place of birth. He lies because it's day or it's night. He lies about his own net worth. He lies because it just feels right. He lies about Canada and France, maybe even about the Viennese. He lies about what's in his pants, but up to now, maybe he don't know how. He doesn't lie about WMDs. Like a morning breeze, a life of ease, 
From Southern California, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of Inspectors General. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an Inspector General. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Defense Department office that oversees the F-35 program, that's just the most expensive weapon system in the history of the human race, that uh, office was criticized by a government watchdog for its plans to delay fixing critical deficiencies on this new fighter jet until after a decision to start full-rate production is made. That won't come before October of next year. The F-35 had 966 open deficiencies as of January of this year, according to the Government Accountability Office. That's Congress's version of the Inspector General. Of these, at least 180 will not be resolved before full rate production under the Pentagon's current plans, according to the report. The production decision would commit the U.S. to building 77 or more of the Lockheed Martin aircraft per year over the next 12 years, up from 70 this year. You see why Lockheed buys so much advertising on them? News programs output would peak at 105 aircraft in 2023 at an annual cost of 13.4 billion and stay at that rate for six years. That makes it imperative for the Pentagon to fix the deficiencies before a decision about production is made, according to the report. Production is, of course, the most profitable phase for Lockheed. You think? The troubled 
$406.5 billion project. I said $406.5 billion, and they haven't started building it yet. It's ending its 17-year development phase this year. That's one expensive development phase, don't you think? Starting in September, the program is supposed to proceed to intense combat testing, an exercise that's already at least 12 months late. The combat testing is necessary before the plane can be approved for full production. In its rush to cross the finish line, the program has made some decisions that are likely to affect aircraft performance and reliability and maintainability for years to come, says the GAO. Two categories, Category 1 deficiencies, are those that could jeopardize safety, security, or another critical requirement. Category 2 deficiencies are those that could impede or constrain successful mission accomplishment. 111 Category 1, 855 Category 2. If reliability targets are not met, the military services and the taxpayer will have to settle for aircraft that are less reliable, more costly, and take longer to maintain, according to the report. They say that as if it's a bad thing. Given that the program's long-term affordability is already in question, you think ensuring the aircraft is reliable by each variant's planned maturity is paramount. I think it's Sony, but it's somewhere here in town. Despite an overall decrease in prescriptions, prices for Medicare Part D brand-name drugs are rising, and so are beneficiaries' out-of-pocket expenses, according to the Inspector General of the Department of Health and Human Services. Even when including manufacturer rebates, Medicare reimbursement for brand-name drugs climbed 62% from 2011 to 2015. So, by Merck stock. Isn't that the thing you're supposed to put on a gun? No. For more than a year, the state of Florida failed to conduct national background checks on tens of thousands of applications for concealed weapons permits, potentially allowing drug addicts or people with a mental illness to carry firearms in public. A previously unreported Office of Inspector General Investigation reported now by the Tampa Bay Times, found that in February of 2016, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services stopped using the FBI crime database called the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, which is supposed to ensure applicants who want to carry a gun don't have a disqualifying history in the other states. The employee in charge of the background checks could not log into the system, the investigator found out. The problem went unresolved for more than a year meaning that for more than a year, applications got approved without the required background check. During that time, which coincided with the June 12th shooting 2016 at Pulse nightclub that left 50 dead, the state of Florida saw an unprecedented spike in applications for concealed weapons permits, 134,000 in the fiscal year ending in June 2015. The next 12 months broke a record 245,000, topped again last year, 275,000. Department employees interviewed for the report called the checks, quote, extremely important. It's unclear why it took so long for someone to realize the background checks were not completed. The report indicated the department may not have a backup system to ensure the task was completed. In an interview with the Tampa Bay Times, the employee involved who couldn't log in said the licensing department was overwhelmed with the number of applications and she was under pressure from supervisors to quickly approve applications. Possibly related to that fact, the head of the Department Agriculture Commissioner Adam Putnam made it a priority to speed up the, the issuing of concealed weapons permits since he was elected 
eight years ago. He's now running for governor. Check him out. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast, taking us immediately to the Apologies of the Week. First of all, here's Samantha B. who apologized last week for calling Ivanka Trump a C-word. She came back on this week's version of her cable broadcast to expand on that apology. You know, a lot of people were offended and angry that I used an epithet to describe the president's daughter and advisor last week. It is a word I have used on the show many times, hoping to reclaim it. This time, I used it as an insult. I crossed the line, I regret it, and I do apologize for that. The problem is that many women have heard that word at the worst moments of their lives. A lot of them don't want that word reclaimed. They want it gone. And I don't blame them. I don't want to inflict more pain on them. I want this show to be challenging and I want it to be honest, but I never intended it to hurt anyone except Ted Cruz. (laughs) Many men were also offended by my use of the word. I do not care about that. I... I hate that this distracted from more important issues. I hate that I did something to contribute to the nightmare of 24-hour news cycles that we're all white-knuckling through. I should have known that a potty-mouthed insult would be inherently more interesting to them than juvenile immigration policy. I would do anything to help those kids. I hate that this distracted from them, so to them, I am also sorry. And look, if you are worried about the death of civility, don't sweat it. I'm a comedian. People who hone their voices in basement bars while yelling back at drunk hecklers are definitely not paragons of civility. I am. I'm really sorry that I said that word, but you know what? Civility is just nice words. Maybe we should all worry a little bit more about the niceness of our actions. Okay. Or maybe we should do both. But she doesn't care what I think. Facebook said this week it would notify 14 million million users that posts they intended to share privately may have been published publicly. This is the company's latest setback as it tries to rebuild user trust. When this place does what it was built for, we sell your data to all comers. The issue arose from a bug affecting Facebook's audience selector tool, which allows users to decide whether to publish a post only to their friends or to a broader audience. The tool usually remains on the setting that was used most recently, so the user doesn't have to keep selecting the friends-only option. But while the bug was active for most of May, the setting was automatically changed to public. There's, there's, there are, they are, sorry. The chairman of ZTE, the Chinese technology company apologized Friday to staff and customers for the company's past behavior after the Chinese telecom giant struck a deal this week to pay one billion dollar penalty to the U.S. Why, that'll buy one 465th of the development phase of the uh, F-35. The deal crafted in order to lift the crippling U.S. ban on the company requires ZTE to overhaul its management and allow a U.S. chosen compliance team to be installed for 10 years. Chairman Yin Yimin wrote a memo to staff saying, ZTE will return to business as soon as possible and will hold accountable those responsible for the violation that led to the ban. He blamed the incident on a few company leaders and employees, noting ZTE paid a disastrous price for a ban that resulted in huge losses for the company. Fox News host Shannon Bream offered an on-air apology this week following a Monday segment where she suggested that Philadelphia Eagles players who were kneeling in prayer had actually been protesting the national anthem. Last night, during our report, 
we showed unrelated footage of players kneeling in prayer. To clarify, no members of the team knelt in protest during the national anthem throughout regular or postseason last year. We sincerely apologize for the error. Bream's remarks were the second time the network apologized on Tuesday over the affair earlier in the day. The show's executive producer, Christopher Wallace, also issued a statement offering his regret for the error. To clarify, no members of the team knelt in protest during the national anthem throughout regular and postseason last year. We apologize for the error. The issue emerged during a news brief in which Bream explained President Trump's decision to rescind a White House invitation to the Super Bowl champions after most of the team announced they were not going to come anyway. Facing mounting criticism for Chicago Public Schools' widespread mishandling of student sexual abuse and rape cases, who knew? Mayor Rahm Emanuel offered an apology this week and said focus now should be placed on the actions that come about to fix the problem. Emanuel's opponents have seized on the problems brought to light in a Chicago Tribune investigation about the school system's failures, casting the issue firmly into the ongoing 2019 mayor's race. By the way, the Trib moved out of the Tribune Tower this week. No apology for that. The mayor offered the apology in response to criticism from another mayoral candidate. Look, I think all adults offer apology, he said. Oh, I offer my apology. But the question is, what are we going to do now besides words? Ask Samantha B. The CEO of Qatar Airways, where women make up nearly half the company's workforce, apologized for saying that a woman couldn't do his job because it was, quote, very challenging. Qatar Airways posted the apology to its Twitter account on Wednesday. Quote, I would like to offer my heartfelt apologies for any offense caused by my comment yesterday, which runs counter to my track record of expanding the role of women in leadership throughout the Qatar Airways group and has been sensationalized by the media. That's Akbar al-Bakher in his statement. The former president of Michigan State University, who resigned over that scandal involving Dr. Larry Nasser, convicted of molesting young female gymnasts, apologized before a U.S. Senate committee this week. I am so sorry that a trusted, renowned physician turned out to be an evil predator, and I am sorry that we did not discover his crimes and remove him from the community sooner, said Lou Anna Simon, who resigned in January. Now my hope is that we learn from these horrific events. Do I wish in hindsight things might have been different, she added. I have a lot of wishes about that. Simon and Steve Penny, who stepped down as president of USA Gymnastics, have been criticized for not doing enough to halt the abuse by Nasser, who worked as a doctor for USA Gymnastics. By the way, Penny, former head of USA Gymnastics, was subpoenaed to testify before the same committee asserted his Fifth Amendment rights to not answer any questions. Our sports reporter has reportedly issued an apology after receiving criticism for asking if Serena Williams was intimidated by her rival Maria Sharapova's supermodel good looks. Ben Simmons of Inside Tennis Magazine issued a statement earlier this week saying, I apologize if my awkward questions seem to empower Trump or attack Serena. I so admire her. I spent my lifetime fighting racism, sexism, homophobia. And former President Bill Clinton has been on a book tour for the... Uh, Thriller novel, The President is Missing, co-written by him and thriller bestseller writer James Patterson, but actually, apparently, according to reports, written, actually written by a third person. But uh, the on-the-book tour, at many of his stops along the way, former President Clinton has been somewhat bedeviled by questions about whether or not, in the wake of the Me Too thing, he ever personally apologized to Monica Lewinsky. This, um, the first eruption of this was on the Today Show at the beginning of the week when he was asked by NBC's Craig Melvin 
Have you have you ever apologized to her? He says, Clinton said, I apologize to everybody in the world. Melvin, but you didn't apologize to her? Clinton, I have not talked to her. I, I thought it, Melvin, do you feel like you owe her an apology? Clinton, no, I do not. I do not. I've never talked to her. But I did say publicly on more than one occasion that I was sorry. That's very different. The apology was public. When asked later on CNN about his NBC comments, Clinton admitted he was hot under the collar at the way the questions were asked. He uh, added he supports the Me Too movement and considers it long overdue, as is another edition of Clinton Something next here on the show. Clinton Something, The Wilderness Years. James, that was a rough one. Yeah, well, he got into this to sell books, right? Yeah, and I love meeting strangers and signing autographs and meeting strangers. But so, so we do these interviews. Just another local news head. Yeah. Sit down, man. I've been sitting all afternoon. Okay, stand the f up. <laughs> well, frankly, it, it looks like a perfect hotel suite for standing. Hmm. Well, if you'd let my publisher pay for the hotel rooms... Bill, 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 what's the problem? We're selling books. If I cared about anything else, I'd write the damn things myself. <laughs> so let's just relax before the signing. It looks to me like you got a heck of a lot of relaxing done during that interview, as usual. Look, you get asked questions about stuff I neither know nor care about. So I sit quiet. Mm-hmm. Thinking up my next plot, if you must know. Damn, man, you know and deploy women, right? Mm-hmm. You could say something about the Me Too movement, get the damn focus off of me for half a friggin' second, but no, you're just sitting there, clammed up tighter than a donor at Davos, just letting me marinate in my own sweat. Some real nice collaborating there. Like you're doing right now. What is it, you're saving up your words for the freaking sequel? Actually, I'm just trying to remember the phrase tighter than a donor at Davos. That's authentic as hell. Well, I got something way more authentic for you if you... I got it. You stay right there getting some good standing time in. Room service. <laughs> Did we order anything? I ordered some chicken. Well, isn't that just I, the... I bring it in? Yes, I'll eat it right here. There you go, sir. Will there be anything else? Do you think you could get him to speak up in public for his co-author? And no, sir. Cool. Well, I hate to say that I hate to say I told you so. Because you don't. <laughs> right. But you can't be surprised that you're getting questions about that. That woman. <laughs> like NAFTA and welfare reform. It, it, it's part of your brand. You weren't getting questions about your email server on your book tour, were you? I'll be getting questions about my email server at my funeral. Honey, this is the price for being us. Hmm. I'll tell you what I can be surprised about. What's that? That that twerp Craig Melvin even got a gig on the Today Show in the first place. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it, Jerry Lewis was right. 
About what? Never trust a guy named Melvin. All right, let me ask you a question. About this? About this. Why don't you call up that woman and apologize to her personally? It can't be any more painful than going through all this to defend not apologizing to her, can it? Let me ask you, did JFK apologize to the East German spy or the mafia princess he was banging in the Oval? <laughs> no, hon. And Truman didn't apologize to the people of Hiroshima. It's, it's, it's a different time. That is a horrible analogy. You think Harvey doesn't wish he'd apologize to those women right about now? I'm just glad I vetoed putting Harvey on the Foundation's board. I never liked the way he kept looking at Chelsea. I'm going to circle back to my question. About apologizing to that woman? Mm-hmm. Okay. A, I don't have her number. B, last time I tried calling her, I got a snarky voicemail message. C, you know damn well anything I say to her, she'll be recording, and we'll hear that call on the news in about two freaking hours. Okay. Look, you've been through the worst already, unless they've scheduled you to do Hannity. Yeah, we're still waiting on a date. <laughs> Seriously, hon. This is the weirdest time since Little Rock. You, they're busting your balls for constantly looking back. And me, it's like the whole media is singing to me, don't stop thinking about yesterday. <laughs> One anatomical note. Your rhetorical balls. Middle-aged angst and golden years powerlessness. Together, they add up to Clinton something. The wilderness years. And now, just like that, here's news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Save, cheap, too cheap to meet. Clean, save, too safe to meet. Save, save, too safe to meet. As if Ukraine didn't have enough problems, ladies and gentlemen, more than 30 years after the Chernobyl disaster, Milk in some parts of Ukraine still has radioactivity levels up to five times the official safe limit. This is from new research reported on by the British newspaper The Independent. That's some hot milk. Scientists sampled cow's milk from private farms and homes in one region about 125 miles from the site of the catastrophic explosion at Chernobyl in 1986. They found levels of radioactive cesium in milk above Ukraine's safe limit for adults of 100 becquerel per liter at 6 of 14 settlements studied and above the children's limit of 40 becquerels per liter at 8 sites. The highest levels found were about 5 times more than that over the limit for adults and more than 12 times that for children. The study was carried out at the University of Exeter and the Ukrainian Institute of Agricultural Radiology. Why would you need one of those? More than 30 years after the Chernobyl's disaster, people are still routinely exposed to radioactive cesium when consuming locally produced staple foods, including milk, in Chernobyl-affected areas of Ukraine, said the uh, researcher at the University of Exeter. Many people in the area were studied. we studied keep cows for milk, and children are the main consumers of that milk. Though the level of soil contamination in the studied areas is not extremely high, radioactive cesium continues to accumulate in milk and other foods. The residents of these villages 
she continued, are chronically exposed to radioactivity that presents health risks to almost every system in the body, including especially children. There are um, protective measures that could be taken to bring radioactive radiation exposure levels down at a cost of about uh, 10 bucks per person per year for the uh, 8,500 people living in the six villages with the highest contamination. You could uh, administer a cesium binder to cows, do mineral fertilization of potato, feeds, of potato fields, and feed pigs with uncontaminated fodder. Why didn't I think of that? The cost of this would decrease each year as radiation levels fall. They warn if no action is taken to the scientists, milk contamination will continue to exceed the safe limit in parts of Ukraine until at least 2040. There's a legacy. The Ukrainian government has taken some of these measures in the past, but that stopped in 2009, said the researcher. This situation, she said, should act as a warning and a reminder of just how long the legacy of nuclear accidents can be. Without adequate countermeasures, what may now seem a purely historical event will remain a daily reality for those communities most impacted. News of our friend the Adam, ladies and gentlemen. Clean, cheap, safe, too long-lived to meet her. That's our friend the Adam for you. And now some quick items in the news of the godly file. The gravestone of a senior Roman Catholic priest in England has been destroyed following allegations he abused a boy. Canon Dermot Fogarty, who died in uh, 2012, was accused by Stephen Bernard in a book written by the Oxford academic. He says the four years of abuse, says Dr. Bernard, started in 1987 when he was 11 years old. The canon's next of kin called for the stone's removal as she felt the epitaph, which lauded him as a, quote, much-loved wise priest, was, quote, a blatant lie. The church agreed to remove the stone. This is in Sussex, in case you want to go visit where it used to be. The Vatican has announced a temporary replacement for an Australian archbishop who was convicted of concealing child sex abuse by a fellow priest in the 1970s. And the church in Tasmania, the Anglican church, will be selling off some churches, dozens of properties, to uh, pay for compensation for survivors of child sexual abuse. 108 properties, more than half of the state's Anglican churches in Tasmania, Tassie, to raise an estimated 15.2 million American dollars. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week 
uh, at the time of your choice on the audio device of your choice or tune in on this station at the same time. It's, it's a free country, isn't it? Still? And it'd be just like it being a free country if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, shampoo to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile, but not for long, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halston and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this show, your chance to get Carside Talk t-shirts for the big 4th of July party, and the playlist of the music heard here on all, all of it. What a cornucopia. All available at harryshearer.com. Me, I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.